welcome everybody to The Ground Beneath Grace. I'm Jonathan Thomas. I'm Joey Walter. And this is super exciting because we are not on Zoom. We are literally sitting feet from each other. We're still social distance. Social just distance. Just not thousands of miles social distance. Right. And what a pleasure. And for many of you who have been following along, you know that Joey was and is uh, working and living in Florida. And he has returned to the area and for, for a brief visit. I think it's spring break. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yes, sir. So I was working in our market. Uh, it's one of my co-vocation jobs that I do. And as I was streaming through from you know one point to another at 100 miles an hour, I hear my name called out. I turn around and... and illuminated behind the door of the entry is this shadow and it comes into this clear picture as if you know the return of joey you really wanted to say blob you want to say some (laughs) mysterious blob moving towards me it made my day i was like oh my goodness it was super exciting so (laughs) joey's here to see me he's like oh i'm having lunch with some friends of mine oh okay okay thanks for stopping (laughs) that's not really how it was but whatever (laughs) no it wasn't it was great um but really great to have you here. Thank you. And if I have to make a trip to Florida on the next one of these, I don't know that will happen. <laughs> Airfare is actually cheap right now. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> Flying all the way across the country. Exactly. But we will definitely cherish this moment and uh, glad that everybody's with us. So we are continuing on with our journey in the ground beneath grace talking about things sometimes that bother us and sometimes I think tonight is kind of just our stories a little mm-hmm. bit and which is great we need that we need a little bit of a break probably from some of the tense things that are going on and that's happening I think in our lives and in the world that we live in and we're learning a lot but I think um, Joey shared a little bit just before I let it, let our audience know uh, what he was thinking and talking about tonight. And I said, how interesting. I'm not going to share my story with you. <laughs> and so I've got information and Joey does not. But. <laughs> I guess it's to only the privileged few. So. Right. Uh, so just having a bit of our life story. And one of the things that we, we've made a list of conversations that we like to talk about and, and be about in the future but this one today is a Joey theme. You had to preface that, right? Okay. Well, so this one is terrible. <laughs> it's not terrible. <laughs> See, this is exactly it. Okay, we, Joey and I, we probably were born in separate areas, obviously, but somehow you, you know, we're we're twins apart from another brothers from another mother. My so, mom's listening to this, so I can't say anything. So much of the same. <laughs> Interestingly enough, so where was your mom born? She was born, uh, she was actually born in St. Louis. I was going to say, your mom's listening to this. So no, you... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She was born in Newport, Arkansas. My uncle was born in St. Louis, I believe. When they were very young, they moved from Bradford, Arkansas to St. Louis, which is the definition of culture shock. Uh, Bradford now is probably has a population of probably 300 people. Hmm. Um, I don't know how big St. Louis is, but or was back then. But um, yeah, she was actually born in Newport. 
Well, I'm, I guess now that I say this, I'm not exactly certain where my mom was born, but it was somewhere in or near Manila, Arkansas. Oh, okay. Which is right right outside of Jonesboro. Right. It's very close to where my dad was, was born and raised. Yeah. Leachville is where he yeah. was. So, interestingly enough, my mom's family, uh, there are, uh, I have an uncle that still lives in that area, uh, actually right in Manila, um, where the farmland that they had that mm-hmm. she grew up on, the little house that the mm-hmm. shack was there, it's all closed in now and there's weeds growing over it, but uh, I was there not long ago and it has definitely been overgrown, but I thought maybe I just pull a piece of wood off of this, you know, for whatever reason, but mm-hmm. I did not do that. I suppose I could. But my mother, being the foreseeing planner that she is, has already purchased her grave spot. Mm-hmm. My mom's alive, yeah. And so it's it's in the Manila, Arkansas cemetery. Yeah. That's, that's funny because my dad's family is buried there. Oh, really? Uh, grandma, grandpa, uh, a lot of cousins. Uh, don't think I have any aunts or uncles there, but lots of extended family, cousins, grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. So when Joey ends up here in Wenatchee and starts talking in this language and this accent that I know that everybody loves, yeah. Um, and I heard Jonesboro, I thought, oh boy, we're soulmates. <laughs> no, that's funny because uh, my mother's, like, where all of her family is in Bradford, Arkansas. And so my dad is actually buried there. And then mom will be and I will be... Um, and then I've got, oh my gosh, I've got a maternal grandmother, um, several aunts, uncles there. So it's really neat. It's on typical Arkansas. It's like a gravel road. It goes to the cemetery. It's very quiet. It's out in the like farmland. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, so somehow we ended up sitting across from one another mm-hmm. for a brief moment of time. <laughs> And now a country apart from one another. But any chance we get at this, that'd be great. So today we're just talking about, uh, we were talking about our past. And if you're listening, if you have a pulse, probably sometimes you think, you know, this is so where I've been, this is who I am, and I probably have no future. But truthfully, our past is not always our future. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think I've worded it quite right. Is that, but it's pretty close to that. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. And so we're just, we were sharing a little bit about, or Joey was sharing about it. I was holding back (laughs) and I can start, I can start with mine so that you can listen and hear that. But one of the things I think in the story of Jesus is, you know, it's an enemy who reminds us of who we were, what our past is. It's Jesus that is here to remind us of our future. Uh, how he intended for life to be for us from the very beginning. Um, that's a place that the enemy just does not want us to recognize, doesn't want us to live in, keeps us stuck in the past. And we definitely see a lot of biblical characters, stories of folks from David who did some things that were not right, but God's redemption and story. Uh, even Samson, I was reading about that today in the Judges. What an arrogant punk. Samson was. I don't know if I'm reading it today, and he's like, "Go get me this." He's like, "I." But should you do something else, son? We want to get something else for you. No, I want this. Go get it for me. And I'm like, "How rude!" That kid needs a spanking for sure. <laughs> but even after that story, there's this 
his past was not defining his future. And the story of redemption in God is definitely one of the blessings. It's one of the good news statements that we have in the gospel. But we can be reminded of our past. That's what an enemy does, and it can affect and alter our future. When I'm talking to, to folks and I'm listening to their stories, I can even share with them, no, that's, that's your past. Here's your future. Mm-hmm. But I have to admit, I wrestle believing that story myself. Mm-hmm. And that is a challenge. It really is to fight through and say the words that I'm speaking that are good news, that are the, the truth and words of Jesus, those apply to me. But I'll probably be last in line in order to get it. So in the beginning, talking about academics, mm-hmm. I was not a good student. I grew up with my mom. Uh, I did not know my father. Mm-hmm. And my mom was working in a factory making door locks. That's what I knew at the very beginning. Yesterday was my sister's birthday. She (laughs) is seven years older than I am. But in that time growing up, um, my mom would work a lot. I was basically either raised by my sisters or alone. Mm -hmm. And in 1977 it was or so, at about that time, 77, 78, my middle sister was in a severe car accident. And that changed everything. My, if, if we were not at the hospital, we, I was home. My mom was working. I was alone because shortly after that, in 1978, my oldest sister moved out of the house to move to Nashville, Tennessee, to be with her father, which is the same dad. They, my sister shared the same dad. So this left a little boy at eight years old home alone. And it was so much better to watch television <laughs> or play outside, or do whatever it was, anything but schoolwork. There was just no real discipline. And what do you expect with a mom whose 15-year-old daughter is in the hospital recovering, Mm -hmm. going through physical therapy and all of that? So I was left alone a lot. I'd come home, and I also had severe health problems, asthma, uh, most of all. So I was in the hospital myself. But I used that as an excuse to not go to school. My mom would get up before I would go. She's working at the factory. Mm-hmm. I would call in and say, I'm sick. I don't feel well when probably I wasn't. I just didn't want to go to school and I'd stayed, I stayed home. And on occasion when that gets too long, finally I'd, I'd have to go, but I just was a very poor student from the very beginning and uh, lived in the hood in Paramount Compton, the Compton area. So white kid growing up in this very diverse neighborhood, I stuck out like a sore thumb. So there was also some dangers, and I didn't want to get jumped by any gangs, so I, again, another reason to stay home. And I remember always being outgoing, always watching like the Saturday Night Live or I Love Lucy, and it just seemed that people wanted to laugh. So I spent a lot of time listening to that and making people laugh as opposed to focusing on my studies. I wasn't a great reader, um, was terrible at math, but I remember after one awkward attack, I'd been held up by a gun, and then I was chased by a gang, and pretty much from that point, my mom thought, it might not be best to raise my son in this neighborhood Mm -hmm. anymore. And I remember... Going into my, I think it was sixth grade, 
So we're moving in my seventh grade year. I believe that's what it was. And I went to my math teacher, Mr. Wolf, and I was terrible at math. Mm-hmm. I was I, awful, awful. And Mr. Wolf, he worked at Angel Stadium, and he was always telling me that he could get us good seats if we were to go to the Angel Stadium. And he was a hard teacher, but he was a really good guy. So at the end, I said, uh, I have to leave, so they got to give you the grades that you have performed for that year because they're going to transfer north. I moved from there to Woodby Island. And I remember uh, all of these low grades, Ds or Fs, in all my classes. And Mr. Wolf, he looks at me, and uh, he's about to write my grade, and I say, you know, Mr. Wolf, you know, I know you you did a really good job. Thanks for being patient with me. Um, I, I may not have tried hard, but you are a good teacher and I really appreciate the attention, you know, that you gave to me. Mm-hmm. And I just remember he stopped and he, he shook his head a little bit like, this is weird coming from this young man, but mm-hmm. kind of got a sideways grin. And he wrote on this report card that was transferring a B. Now, I have never had a B in math ever, even in college. Mm-hmm. And so when I got into the transfer up in junior high heading up into the um, Washington state. They looked at this transcript and all these poor classes. So I was in the, he needs to learn how to write and read Mm -hmm. and do these things. But in math class, they were going, Oh, he obviously excels in math. Let's put him in an upper (laughs) math class. And that was the doom of it all. I knew I would be in trouble and all of these smart kids all around me. And I just felt like an idiot. And um, I seriously suffered through junior high, through high school. It wasn't that I wasn't trying, but there were just so many times I just didn't make the effort. Uh, I would take the tests. I would do the things, but I would rather play and goof off. I was very involved with drama. It's not that I wasn't smart. I could memorize an entire book and perform an entire three-part play. So it was just motivation. Mm -hmm. But at the end of it all, it comes time for graduation. And guess who doesn't have nearly the amount of credits to graduate? And it was me. And I was humiliated because I judged and looked at like even the people who were the worst of the worst in my school, they graduated. But they also had, you know, special help and special right. programs. Somehow I faked my way or got myself out of much of that until it was too late and they're like, you're not graduating. And it was the most embarrassing moment for me. So I thought I'm not going to be a fifth year senior senior. I've made fun of those guys. Mm -hmm. And so I won't do that. So I thought I'll go off and I'll take my GED. I'm just going to cut it and I'll just go off and did that and performed at the lowest level. I think that you could get your GED certificate. And there I felt also very embarrassed. I felt like I can't even graduate high school. What could I do? Um, This story is kind of hard for me to tell because I've mentioned and I guess I've sat at circles where people who are educated have talked about people like me. And they don't know that I didn't graduate from high school. Mm -hmm. And I hear how some people talk. It's very humiliating to Mm -hmm. me. So you just kind of bury it. I would say, well, I finished school in 1988 or so. I remember even some of my classmates, they're like, hey, we heard you're not graduating. It's very embarrassing, that spot. But I went off. I thought I'd just get my GED, but 
but I had a minister who said, you need to go to college. Well, I didn't know what I needed, Mm -hmm. but truthfully, the last thing I needed was to go to college. But I just thought, well, I guess that's just what you do at the next step. Send me off to college. I remember (laughs) getting to college and they said, well, yeah, your GED was pretty low and your ACT test scores were pretty low. So we're going to put you in a special program to help you learn how to study and get those skills. But we see you want to be a Bible major. So if you're going to graduate in four years, (laughs) that's so funny now that they say that, um, you're going to need to take Greek 101, which is at eight o'clock, five days a week, and uh, in order to have all those credits. One of the worst decisions ever made. And uh, if anyone of, of uh, you know, upper academic value in the Churches of Christ, uh, Dr. John York, who is a professor at David Lipscomb University now, uh, and an incredible guy, was my Greek teacher. And I remember really bombing out in this class. It started out fun, but I had no basic skills to learn the disciplines of what it would take to move beyond, you know, the point where it's too late to drop the class, right, in school. And he um, was patient with me, and I just remembered one day giving up. I'm never going to make it through this class. I'm already struggling in so many other of these Mm -hmm. classes, and who in the world did they not care? I wasn't just a number. It was a small Christian school, so they... They did know my name, but I'll never forget. uh, It had been several days that I had not shown up to Greek at 8 a.m. in the morning and knock, knock, knock on my door, on my dormitory door. I open it up. It's early in the morning. And there, lo and behold, is Dr. John York standing in the men's dorm with me and my fabulous pajama wear and he said mr thomas yes sir was hoping that you would join us in class today and i'm like yeah i'm on my way i'm right i'm gonna be right there good and he walked away that meant a lot Mm -hmm. i didn't pass the class just so that you know but i went to every other one And there were things that I learned there. And even though I failed that class as well as many others, and again, it took a long time for me to get my sea legs of academics under uh, under my my feet. Um, The struggle was believing that I was not my past in failures, that I could be something more. And as probably John would... Dr. York would not remember that story. Maybe he does. I doubt he'll listen to this podcast, but I remember that story. And it was a good first picture that somebody believed in me and saw the potential that I could be, not what I was, and took the step to walk into a smelly boy's dorm and say, you're needed here. I'll never forget that. Now, I've really struggled with this whole story and many, many years it took for me to tell this story um, of my failure. It's hard even sometimes now. It's easy because I've, I've listened to your story. I know that I'm not alone now, but sometimes you feel like you're the only person and this is who you are and this is your identity. 
And I'm just here to say, that's not my identity. Do I still fail on things? Yes. But I've learned that in failing, that's when we can learn the best of life stories and or things in, uh, in going forward and becoming who God, I think, knows we should be who we are. That's a part of the story. That's just kind of my start and where we're going. I have more on it, but uh, that, that again, is like a little testimony. So I'm just going to swing it on over to Joey's way. I'll back my mic off here. But I'll try so, to knock my mic off this yeah, time. That's, I mean, is that surprising? I'm uneducated. No. I mean, well, that's a trick <laughs> question. <laughs> yes and no. No, it's not. I mean, it's not a... It's not a surprise that anybody struggles with education. I think I think it's more prevalent than you would realize. Um, you know, something you were talking about, and that's why I had to get up and make notes, which led to the me knocking the microphone off the it table. It was disastrous. Was disastrous. <laughs> Losing our steam. Um, you know, the devil is. Uh, you you mentioned he's really good about you know reminding us of things that we that we do wrong, that we continually do wrong, or things that we've done in the past. Um, I think that's one of his tricks. I think that's the biggest trick that he uses. But I think what we have to realize is that we're bigger than our sin, no matter what the sin is. Um, and that's that's why grace is my favorite word, because grace covers all of that, no matter what it is. Um, you know, even, <laughs> even serial killers have the opportunity to, to repent and, and be saved. And I think that's, you know, it's hard for us to remember because you, you think, well, I'm better, I'm better than that. I've not done that, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you're still, our sin is just that it's sin. It doesn't define who we are. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk about this, um, but you know, that reminded me of, of, of uh, with, with the devil and some of the tricks that he uses because he wants you to think, you know, you're not good enough. Those people are good people. You know, you did this just yesterday. You know, you went out and got drunk and made a fool out of yourself and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you watched that movie you shouldn't have watched or you told that joke and whatever. Um, but anyway, there's there's bigger things than that. That's that's why I think it's just important to remember that grace covers all of that. Um, so with my story, when I was uh, 15, uh, just about to turn 16, well, it was a few months before, my brother actually actually died actually committed suicide. Uh, and I, I think I've touched on this before. It was, it was interesting. Uh, he had a lot of issues. Um, I'm not going to go into all that. Doesn't, doesn't matter. But um, I never thought that he would do that. I still feel some guilt to this day. Um, so the interesting thing is some things that happened within our family. And I was, I was not happy with him. I was very upset with him. Uh, the way he was uh, primarily treating my mom, and um, so we had this kind of this falling out. And so on the Thursday um, before he died, he actually called the house, and this was kind of his mo. He would get upset, and he would call the house, or he would come over, and he would. Um, he just had all of this anger built up from the past, and I don't really know what all that was about, but I was a kid, and. Uh, so anyway, he called and he talked to mom for a little bit. My dad worked nights. And then um, he asked to speak to me. And we had not spoken in weeks, 
if not months. And actually, I had seen him. This is one of those things you look back on like, yeah, I should have known. Uh, that's the, the guilt part. But I actually saw him at my school. And so he was 10 years older. And so he was actually um, at my school, actually 12 years older, sorry. Um, it was actually at my school that week. And what he was doing was saying bye to teachers. And you know, I didn't realize it, and uh, but I didn't speak to him. So we had, you know, had this falling out, and um, so he uh, he was speaking to me, and we talked. We talked for probably ten minutes on the phone, and he was saying that he loved me, and you know, kind of weird things um, about you know not getting in his way type things, and anyway. So that was Thursday, Friday. Afternoon, I left to go on a church trip. You know, we were young. We used to have, <laughs> I don't think they're probably the right thing to call them now, but back then they were called youth rallies. Right. <laughs> yes. And so was it, you know, basically a thing where all churches come together, they send their youth uh, to one, one certain church, and generally either they stay in hotels or um, congregation members of that home church take them in. I apologize to anybody that I ever stayed with. <laughs> I apologize for all of my friends. Um, but anyway, so they, you know, they would house us. And then like all day Saturday, um, you basically just have church. Sometimes Friday night, but definitely all day Saturday into late Saturday night. And then usually you get up and go to church Sunday morning at that church. Then you head home. Okay, so we went to Russellville, Arkansas, which was... Uh, from where we lived, about four hours away uh, across the state. And uh, so long story short, um, we we went, and my brother had actually killed himself on Saturday night. This is before cell phones and all of this. They didn't want to call the church and tell them because they were afraid, you know, we've, we had probably 30 kids from our church and, you know, I didn't want to run the trip for all of them. And, and it would have been a nightmare, you know, sitting in a car for four hours waiting to get home. And so that, I'm really glad they did that. And, yeah. um, but everybody in the church, our home church knew. So long story short, um, we get back from Russellville and, um, it's like 1030 at night on Sunday night. And so like I call, um, called my house and I'm expecting my parents to be asleep. The dad picks up on the first ring. And I said, hey, I'm I'm back. Can you come pick me up? He said, yeah, I'll be there in a little bit. So in the meantime, I'd got, I'd went and gotten in. There was two vans. We got split up. One of them had car trouble. And long story short, one of the parents was there. One of my friends was sitting in the car with them, and they were waiting on their son. And so they knew. And so I got in the car with them, and they had told. It was actually... It was a lady. She had told Eric, my friend, that um, what had happened. And so I get back in the car after calling my dad. And um, anyway, so uh, they weren't talking. It was really weird. And I was hopped up because it was late at night. And um, anyway, long story short, we lived kind of far out. So my dad got there. It took him about 20 minutes or so uh, to get there. Uh, he pulls in and uh, we always had minivans. And so he pulls in the minivan and first thing I said to him was, um, you know, hey, I, I guess I don't have to go to school tomorrow, right? Because it's so late. He's like, no, you don't have to go to school tomorrow. I'm like, Holly, that was really easy. It's sweet. So get in the car. 
radio's turned off. Radio's never turned off. Maybe turned down, but it's never turned off. You know, mom and dad were uh, big country music fans, and um, so we get in the car, and dad's just not saying anything. And I'm um, kind of got my second wind, you know, and um, he pulls over uh, in the parking lot uh, away from everybody else and puts the car in park. I'm like, what is going on? Something is strange. And uh, puts it in park and looks at me and he goes, Jerry died last night, my brother. And, you know, at first I thought he's like, it's a joke. I'm like, yeah, that's not funny. And he just looks at me. And, uh, you know, then it's like shock. And uh, so anyway, um, you know, go through that whole process and just, it's just weird. Some things, you know, that are said to you, um, I think I've mentioned some of the things when we talked about funerals and stuff that people say to you, but just the whole process, I can remember it like it was yesterday and just, um, you know, the whole thing and it just was off. Obviously it was awful, awful for my mom. Um, so, um, so after that, my kind of turning point, that was kind of my turning point. You know, I think I've, you know, talked about things like this, like pain in, in terms of uh, going through things. You know, the hardest thing for me to go through, I guess, was my dad dying. But the thing that impacted me the most was my brother dying. And uh, that just, that changed who I was. And so up until that point, I had been, you know, on a roll, A and B student all the way up. Um, and so that was 10th grade ninth or 10th grade and I think it was 10th grade so after that I just checked out with school just you know yeah I'm not doing homework if I have a paper due I'll write it the night before um if there's a test yeah I may study for 10 minutes you know I'm just not doing it um and so you know through no fault of my or their, their own, but you know, I had a lot of teachers that went to the same church, and I think they just felt sorry for me. Um, but I just did not do well in high school in, in classes after that, and so gets to be graduation time, and everybody's talking about going to college, and yeah, because like you said earlier, it's the thing to do. You go to college, right? Okay. So we have a university in Jonesboro, you know, right outside of where I grew up. It's where you know eighty percent of the uh, local students go. So I went and it was a joke. I mean, I bombed like even worse than high school, you know, going to these huge classes. I went from a class of 64 to a school of 12,000. Um, I think at the time, uh, Brooklyn, where I went to high school, I think K through 12, I think there was, I think between a thousand and 1500 students in the whole school. And you go to this, you know, 12 times bigger than that. Um, so anyway, so it was completely different. I learned that you can skip and teachers don't care and, uh, or at least they don't, they don't notice that we're in, in the big classes. And, you know, I told you earlier, you know, like one of what one of my professors told me, um, so it just was that, you know, and bombing out of classes with, you know, academics and stuff. And I was a flunky. I mean, I was just doing terrible. And so after about two and a half years of this, I thought, well, you know, enough's enough. I don't know what I want to do. I'm failing miserably. So I'm just going to drop out. I took a full-time job. So bounced around um, 
career wise, career wise in quotation marks, it was just jobs, but just didn't, didn't find anything that I liked. And, uh, <laughs> I was working at, I was working at a telecom company doing drafting and <clears throat> didn't like it. It wasn't for me. Um, my, so I would get off work and I'd stop at my mom and dad's house. Um, and we were eating dinner one night and I was complaining about my job and my dad had worked uh, for most of his life had worked factory work and nothing against factory work at all. But they generally, <laughs> from what I've seen, they don't care as much about the individual. They want the bottom line. They don't care about the people as much. And my dad had said, you know, I can get you on at the factory he worked at. <laughs> I'm like, no. You know, hard manual labor where they don't care about you. You're working, uh, you know, he was working like seriously, like 90 plus hours a week um, up until he retired. And it just wasn't for me. And I thought, yeah, I need to go back to school. So <laughs> went back and I had to basically start all over and take retake some of the classes that I had failed so miserably at the first time. Did a lot better, but it was a lot slower process, obviously, of taking these classes. I was working full-time. Generally would have to take night classes. If the night classes weren't offered, I'd use vacation time to take the classes that I needed during the day. <clears throat> so finished my bachelor's degree. I think I want to say it took six years after going back and night classes and one class this semester and two classes the next semester and one class, you know, I think it took me five years to finish my bachelor's. Okay. But then after I got to my, done with my bachelor's, I got my master's done in two years. Um, cause it was mainly, it was completely online. So I breezed through that pretty quick and it was honestly, it was an easy program. Um, so then after, as soon as I got done with that, I was able to, get my teacher certification. So I took both practice exams. Never can say that word. Uh, if that was on the test, I would not have passed. Uh, <laughs> how do you pronounce the name of this test? Sorry. Um, so anyway, after I got done with that, I got my teacher certification. I also took my GRE for uh, graduate school, uh, further graduate school. And so as soon as I got my ma as soon as I got my teacher certification, I was picked up by a community college to teach GED classes or adult education classes, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. And so that was kind of like my motto to these students. That's why I have such a heart for these students. Is you know I was there. I should have been a dropout. Um, very could have. I just was lucky not to. And so, um, so I talked to these students who, uh, you know, dropped out, you know, teen pregnancy or drugs or, you know, single parent household, whatever it was that they didn't finish. And so I, you know, I felt like I really had a, a heart for serving them and really, really enjoyed it. And that led to, um, my, I got a job at the same community college as a career coach. And so I was working with like some of the poorest students in the state, who were first-generation college students who you know, didn't necessarily have the motivation to go to school. And 
loved that. And it kind of, kind of went from there. Um, but I, you know, so then we would, uh, as I moved up my career and I, I got up to the state level in terms of, um, educational leadership, I would always bring, we would always bring, um, faculty in. we did professional development. And so I would always, uh, come up with an icebreaker and my, one of my icebreakers was, okay, you've got to, <laughs> you've got to, you know, say your name, you know, where you work and either your favorite motto or like your favorite movie or a quote or something that you live by. And so I would always start off and I would say this and I'd kind of give them a brief rundown of my story and why, you know, don't let your past determine your future. It was always the one I would use and that's, and why. And so, um, so that was, that's for me kind of just kind of an overview of my story. Um, I love it, but then you can also, the reason why I want to talk about this week is, you know, you look back, uh, in the Bible, and you talked about David and Samson, but also like the apostles, like the apostle Paul. Um, you know, there's evidence, there's more than evidence, there's pretty much proof that he admittedly even persecuted Christians. And I think there's um, some a little bit of debate on whether or not he actually killed Christians, he had Christians killed, or he just stood by as Christians were killed. But regardless, you know, people feared him, and then he becomes arguably one of the biggest voices in the New Testament for Jesus. Um, and so, and then we can, you know, we can talk about the other apostles as well. And <laughs> Christian cliche number three, or, or part three, you know, it, we've all you, we've all heard it. You know, God doesn't call the qualified; He qualifies the the, the called. And I think that's kind of what, what I'm trying to get at here is, especially with the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, other people throughout history, not perfect people, we're not perfect people, but regardless of their past, they still were able to do great things, uh, especially the Apostle Paul and some of the other apostles as well. Yes, and I think that um, one of the listening to that story is, again, going back to believing it, can happen for other people. We have to really believe this can also happen for us. It's the same story. It's not that we have it to give. It's that God has it to give. And God is this incredible redeemer. His uh, mercies are new every morning type conversation. And you know, you're talking about this guy named Paul and it initially was Saul, right? right? Wasn't even the same name. But at the very beginning introduction that we have of that story is from Acts chapter 7, where Stephen goes up against uh, the religious leaders of that time and really lays out this incredible story, this whole story of who God is and the righteousness of Jesus to bring redemption for the whole world. And they can't handle it. So they get furious and they drag him out of the city because they're going to kill him. And Stephen is the first Christian martyr. And it says, um, and this story is found in Acts chapter 7. Um, when they heard this, this is starting in 54, so I won't go into the whole great story that, that Stephen gives to them. But when they heard these things, they were enraged. They, they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's where we get this introductory of Saul. And this, I guess what Saul had seen at that moment, very religious, grew up with a certain demeanor, right, to preserve and protect this message given to them to be heralds of truth. And so in Acts chapter 9, just a bit later, Luke is telling this story, but he, he continues with this story of Saul. And in chapter 9, verse 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked them for a letter to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, that's huge. Typically in that time, it was just men who were the threat. Women weren't the threat. This to me tells me the gospel included male and female very powerfully. So this letter was written that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he went out on his way. And then again comes this conversion story of Saul where Christ speaks into his life and brings this transformation where he has to think about it for three days, blind, um, not seeing. And there is rumor that perhaps maybe he killed folks. Somewhere we know that the story of Saul, he becomes transformed into the story of Paul. But he, he has this thorn in his flesh. And some scholars would say, you know, he, he had poor vision. He wished that he could just see, but he can't. And so now um, he, he, yeah, he asked God to heal him of that. But God said, no, because, you know, in, in your weakness, you know, my grace is sufficient, right? I'm like, in, this is where my strength comes from. You, you have to have this. And early on in my whole life, but I, I never bought into that his thorn was his physical ailment. If he did what he, and we see in Scripture what he did, ripped children away from their parents, threw the moms and the dads in prison, or perhaps even murderous, right? That's what it said. To kill those of the way. I can't help but think that there wasn't something in his life that dreams at night reminded him of the story of the lives that he persecuted. And God, take this away, but no, my grace is sufficient. This is not who you are. Um, I've redeemed you. I've restored you. I can't imagine living with that story and with it. And so I think some people, again, they're like, oh, that's really harsh. And, you know, Paul doesn't live that way. So it was his blindness. He couldn't see. So we, he needed something else. And I'm like, I just don't know. I, I can't necessarily subscribe or buy into that because I look later in his letter to the Philippians. And again, it's one of my, um, this is for me going forward in, in this academic story in my life or to go forward with the assurance that this is not written down. My past does not define my future. Um, very powerfully, Paul is, again, speaking to the Philippians, who are very 
well off. I mean, they are the, they're the Texans of the scripture, right? <laughs> These guys, they've got the authority, you know, the community, they are citizens of something. And so in uh, Philippians chapter three, um, he's just, again, really just trying to remind them of the story that God has got going on um, in, in life and in the transformation of the power that God is and the community they're living in. But in verse 12 of chapter 3, it says, Now listen, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, and I assume sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To me, that was like this powerful scripture. I'm forgetting what lies behind. I'm pressing on. This doesn't seem to me like I forgot it all (laughs) and figured it out. This is a story of journey. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. This is a, it's a, a constant. I'm not really great and can't, I'm not very educated. So this, this active forgetfulness, it wasn't, I forgot it and I don't remember it anymore. I'm forgetting what lies behind. There's an active pressing forward to the thing God has called us to and having an identity and a picture of how God sees us. Very much so like how you see those folks when they were coming to class. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I totally understand. I get it. But one thing I do is I don't live in that place. I forget what was there and I press on towards I I know is there. This academic program, your GED. It's very important and it is acceptable as an academic um, marks for career. And so in the continuation of my story, I went back to school and did better and made three and a half years of college studies towards um, my bachelor's of arts in biblical studies, history, and communications. And one quarter shy of getting my credits, I was offered a job in the one area that I wanted to work in, and that was youth ministry. So I made the decision, do I go to school and continue a debt burden, you know, in the, in the school system, or do I actually just jump right in and do the job? And I chose to do that. So I still am uneducated, right, in some way. But then I look at the scripture, too, and again, Acts is so full of these awkward people. They were not perfect, fishermen, zealots, you know, wherever it is they come from, even Paul's story. But there's another place where, where people recognize that these are uneducated men. But they had been with Jesus. And that's what Jesus does. He reminds us of how uh, uh, he believes in us, of who we are and how we should be as he created us to be not of our past. That's what an enemy wants to do. And then just one last scripture. I know I'm kind of going on, but in Revelation, um, in chapter 21, I just love this because it is it is this epic final imagery that we have in the shadow land of something that is not yet but to come, 
verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Man, if I'll tell you what, if I could get a tattoo, it'd probably be that. I just don't like needles. This is the story of God. This is the whole concept of the idea of the ground beneath grace. This is what says we don't have to be shaped by our past. We are shaped by what God's future is intended for us. And that goes, like you said, from the serial killer to whatever. People have come to me and like I've said, this is my thorn in my flesh. And I've had people say, oh, well, I've done worse. Like, no, that's your worst, but this, this is mine. This is my thorn in my flesh. I wish it could go away. It's very serious to me. I very much hate it. And I wrestle with it, and I wish it wasn't. But because of that, this thorn thing, it's like when anything that I say or do, if it has any God quality, it's God saying, this is because of my grace, not because of your intellect. If you had that, you probably would have taken it to a place that I never would want it. I just want, I want you to live in a way that when people see and hear you, they recognize that you've been with me, not because you're book smart. And we have a lot of book smart stuff today, really. We do have a lot of information. We have so much information. We actually have nobody really putting this tangible uh grabbable, (laughs) obtainable place and space that is for you and for I. So, yeah. Joey just gave me the thumbs up. (laughs) We've only been going for 53 minutes, and I think I have... uh, (laughs) What is the scripture that in the Old Testament that Joseph began, you know, it's like Four, it's like a, almost a full chapter of of lineage of the people. I can I can go read that a couple of times. If want to. Yeah, right. Uh, open up to Leviticus. <laughs> talk about it. Yeah, I know. So I guess um, you know the reality is right. Your story. We've grown up with a lot of hurt, things that happened, things that were life changing. My sister's, you know, tragic uh, accident. Mm-hmm. It was her birthday yesterday, mm-hmm. and uh, here I get to see her, and. In spite of all of what was destruction, and I think in your story, too, though, um, how do we find that God's grace is sufficient in that? Well, in my story with my sister yesterday, she talked about um, being a grandma and seeing her grandbaby Everly. And what's the greatest thing? And again, in her slurred speech... You know, and again, and her health is not great at this moment, too. But, um, you know, it was her with her grandchild. And, and I know that's not everybody's story. But for me in this brief moment, I know what the past was. And I know the destruction of even how my sister ended up pregnant was not glorious. Mm-hmm. It was an abuse, you know, it was a taking advantage of. Mm-hmm. In spite of that, though, something beautiful comes about in generations of what it should look like. So that is, um, I think, 
Joey, we need to press on, forgetting what lies behind, pressing on towards what lies ahead, the thing that Christ has called us heavenward for, and live that way. And when we live that way, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means that um, God is purposeful in his story in our life, and his grace is sufficient. Yeah, totally. You know, I think we've, we've talked about um, on the podcast several times that, you know, things that we're good at and we're not good at, we talk normally or more, I guess, about things that we're not good at. But, you know, there, there's something to say about effort and about taking advantage of second chances uh, when you get those. And, um, you know, even if you're not, you know, if you're not good enough or not good at something, it doesn't mean you're bad at all things. And I think, you know, again, it's something that the devil really tries to play tricks with. Um, you know, you're not good at that. You don't need to do that. You don't need to go stand on a street corner and hold the sign, you know, to bring people to Jesus. I mean, you, you, but even aside from that, you have to put that voice out of your head and focus on the things that you are good at. Yeah, and there may be things that you want to, you know, step out of your comfort zone and and improve on things that you're not good at, or you can just focus on the things that you are good at and be a good, you can be a good disciple for Jesus even by just imitating him or treating people how you think that he would treat people in a good way. And that is right. uh, not condemn anyone, but um, being good to people, I think you can be very quiet and go about uh, treating people. You don't have to who posted on Facebook that, Hey, here's me a, a selfie of handing someone $5. Um, but you can do things very quietly and you can, very, very, you can also very quietly lead people to Jesus that way as well. Yeah. And that's fantastic. And uh, I appreciate it, Joey. And this has been fantastic to just have our old familiar time of sitting across the table. I will miss it. I really am not certain that I'm going to go to Florida, but... Come on down. <laughs> There's a lot of openings for ministers down there. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing that from you. That never makes the cut uh, ever. So everybody, um, you are not defined by your past. Always look that God has an incredible future for you. And if you have questions about that, um, trust me, uh, we are really good at seeing the beauty, I think, in people. We're working really hard on that, I I hope. Um, And we just want you to know that you're great and God loves you, that Jesus died for you, and you have hope, an incredible story of resurrection. So... Everybody have a great week, and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Ground Beneath Grace. We hope to share a universal journey that leads to Jesus, who is the best picture of God we could ever get.